1 Corinthians chapter 14, for three weeks we have been looking at the gifts, uh, the spirituals, and uh, we started chapter 12, so it's chapter 12, 13, and 14, and uh, there's some generalizations that we've learned the gifts are for the edification of the church. The gifts are given that uh, the church corporate, which means from the time of Christ until Christ comes again, our time of Pentecost till Christ comes again, that's the church corporate. Uh, it was given uh, apostles, prophets, teachers, etc. And uh, they were specific people for specific times. And after their ministry, it's passed away. And then when we come into uh, Corinthians, and Paul is dealing with these gifts. And in, in there's three times in the, in the New Testament that gifts are listed. And uh, here, when Paul lists them, and then he <clears throat> begins specifically to speak about prophecy and tongues, and uh, the, overall, the overall theme is a little negative. Paul, Paul is chastening these people, if you please. That's my word. Uh, you remember, he starts out, when he's speaking to them and says to them that they're carnal, uh, that they are, they are carnal, and so consequently what's happening here is that they are abusing some of the gifts. He did say to them, you come behind and no gifts. So they, they had the gifts of the Spirit as a church, not every single individual, but as a church they had what they needed to honor the Lord. And now he's saying to them that you're... You, you're, you're in your carnality, uh, there's some problems here. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I deduct. It seems that in the church at Corinth, there were legitimate gifts of prophecy and languages, tongues and languages. Languages means when, at, just like in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, when those disciples spoke in their original language, those 17 nationalities that are listed there heard them in their common language. So God did a miracle in that gift. And then there were legitimate gifts of prophecy and languages, and I believe there were mystery tongue speaking, okay? Mystery tongue speaking, which means that there was speaking in uh, unintelligible languages and I think, and I'm saying to you, I think, and I put in my notes and presses, I think that that was a carryover from some of the pagan religions that they, the, the, the Gentiles had been involved in before they came to know Christ. <clears throat> we already know they're involved in some of them because Paul dealt with the issue of meat and the temple and those things. There's a historian named Ronald Nash who did a study of the mystery religions and he noted five characteristics, many of which uh, I think carried over into the church at Corinth. And I say, I think. So here are the five. The deities with the mystery religions, and, and think about, okay, in, in Corinth, there were these pagan temples, and they had this um, religion. You, you came and you feasted there. You, you, you brought your offering. The priest killed it, blessed it. What, you ate it. You, you, had your, you had your gathering there, and uh, maybe with your family or with your friends or with your club or whatever you're involved in. And you remember Paul said that some of you 
now in the church, you're doing what you did in the temple, in those pagan temples, you're even getting drunk and calling it the Lord's Supper. And so uh, here are some of the, the five characteristics that are common to those mystery religions. The deities were usually tied to an agricultural cycle, both birth and death. Uh, number two, they made use of mystery initiation rituals. Number three, uh, they, have a, they had a belief of their deity dying and being resurrected to exercise power. And then number four, there was no emphasis on correct belief or doctrine. And number five, a mystical experience that left them feeling that they had obtained unity with their God. And so those are the five characteristics. I think they carried over when people trusted Christ. They, that, that had been their history, and they were down the church, and they were still doing the same thing. That's what I see when I read these chapters that Paul is speaking to them uh, about, about their carnality and their selfishness. We learn that every single gift that the Holy Spirit gives to the church is for the edification of the church, never for the edification of an individual, but for the edification of the church. So read with me, if you would, the first five verses, and this is the purpose of prophecy. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church." I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets and the church may receive edification. I think Paul is speaking here, verse 4 and 5, with irony. Uh, If you're an English student, remember your English classes, irony is uh, a cousin to sarcasm. And so he's speaking with irony. He, he is not, uh, when, read verse 4 again. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So he's saying, after teaching them that every gift is given for the edification of the church, and now he's saying, but you're doing it for yourself. Now he's, he's highlighting their selfish behavior that he's already highlighted before. And so he is saying that uh, this is uh, an, an emptiness of your behavior. So, um, I, I'm not going to, this is a long chapter, and I, I can't dwell on everything to any extent. Here, here is a, here's a thought I want you to think about. Uh, I'm going to give you a quote, and I don't know where I got it from. I don't, I, I can't go back and find it, where I copied it out and now can't find where I got it from. So I put in the note, it's a quote unattributed. It should be carefully noted that if Paul is not using irony here, then he is crediting very carnal believers with an intimacy with the Holy Spirit and with God, with deep spiritual experiences 
that in all his other writings and all the rest of Scripture teach most emphatically that can never be entered into by a carnal believer. So he is using irony as a weapon to lay bare the emptiness of claims of carnal believers. Um, Again, all three of these chapters, everything said, even the love chapter, talks about love is the, 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 the opposite of selfishness. It's basically what we're seeing. And, he's, and he gave that talking to the church about being in love with each other or loving each other, not being in love, but loving each other. And, and that, that was the whole, we use that for weddings and things. And, and we missed the point. The point is, he's saying, and if, if you love the church, if you love your brethren in the church, uh, you're, you're never going to be selfish. You're never going to be self-centered. You're never going to uh, just look to yourself. And then verse six, 6 through 11, he talks about the, I, I titled it, the incompleteness of tongues, the incompleteness of doing that. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air, not not unto God, He's not using irony here, but he's just saying it's emptiness. It's into the air. It has no meaning. It has no purpose. It just, you're just doing it. Verse 10, there are, it may be so, it may, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. What that means is none of them is without meaning and understanding. It's, it's what that what that is speaking about. So all languages in the world have meaning, is what he is saying. Again, I'm not going to deal with that. That's pretty, uh, I I want to remind you, and when we read those things, I want to remind you that there are three historical occurrences of tongues, and their hearers understood that God was being glorified. Uh, three historic references. We went in detail with them last week. I'll mention them again in just a moment. But uh, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to Caesarea. Acts chapter 19, when uh, Paul goes to Ephesus and finds some believers there, or Old Testament believers there. And they all had meaning. when they Three historical references, and that's it. Uh, and then now Paul deals with the, the problem that arose in Corinth with, with this aberrant use of this gift. And so he is uh, dealing with it then. In the first century, in the first century right, there's no, there's no mention. When you get to about the uh, fourth century, you have a man named Chrysanthemum who is over the Eastern Church, and you have a man named Augustine, who's over the Western Church. They were the two most prominent individuals, and both of them said that tongues ceased in the apostolic age. 
And uh, when you, if you want to go online and Google and look up tongues in history, you're going to find that in history there were a few, um, there were there were a few times that uh, tongues were used in the course of medieval history and then the 17th century. But when you when you look at it, and each time it was a it was a very small group and. They were branded as heretics. And so, <clears throat> I'm being very careful what I say to you this morning. I'm trying to be very careful what I say to you this morning. Uh, let, me go, let me go back to where we started in chapter 12 three weeks ago. There are three positions concerning the, gift, the, 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 the um, miraculous gifts, healing, tongues, I, what's the third? I don't even know. Pro- prophecy, I guess, yeah. And so... Uh, there is the position that they're, they're, they're still operable for any Christian today. There's the position, the middle position, that they're operable sometimes maybe on a mission field where there's uh, people who cannot speak your language and uh, there's a little bit of that recorded in history and, uh, you know, can't be substantiated but recorded. And then there's the third position is that they ceased at the apostolistic age. I'm in that position, and that's how I teach. But I want you to know the other positions are held by some credible people, and you have a right to choose what what you believe. Uh, <clears throat> but when I read this scripture, when I read these chapters, and I try to be objective and put it in context, the context is that these people were carnal, and that they were abusing them, and that Paul explained to them that they would, there, there was no purpose of them in, in the church. And uh, it, the purpose had been fulfilled, and it was going to cease. Maybe it hadn't ceased at this point in time, but it was going to cease shortly. Now look with me in verse 12 and 17. There's no rational point, he goes on, or did we just read that? No, we haven't. There's no rational point in speaking without understanding. Verse 12. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the understanding. Otherwise, excuse me, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? Excuse me. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I think that speaks for itself. He's saying, how much better it would be that if you spoke with your understanding, you sang and spoke with your understanding and not uh, without understanding. Verse uh, 18 and 19, Paul probably is the most gifted person ever since the Lord Jesus Christ, even until today. And he says this about himself. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And that's words, languages. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And then, and then he 
challenges them. His explanation, again, I believe has the form of irony. And when you, when you read any, if, if you remember your English, anytime you're reading any kind of literature, you have to understand what the form is being used. And I think he's using irony there as well. And now we get to verse 20, and he again reiterates they have a distinct purpose. Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law, in the Old Testament, Isaiah particularly, it is written, with men of other tongues and with other lips, I will speak to this people. Now, who is this people? And Isaiah is writing to the Jews. And so, this people is the Jewish nation. With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me. Let me finish then in verse 22. Therefore, tongues are for a sign. All right? That, this is the key part of chapter 14. Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Tongues are for a sign. You go back to when Isaiah wrote that, um, the people of Israel had gone into paganism and idolatry, and God was, was going to, he's warning them that there's going to come a people whose language to you is jabbering. And, and, and it is a judgment upon you. And those people were the Assyrians for the northern kingdom and the Babylonians for the southern kingdom. And the Jewish people did not speak their language. And so it was a sign of judgment to the unbelievers. It was a sign then that God was speaking to them and holding them accountable. A sign to the Jewish nation. And now you come to, now that three historical reverence, you come to Acts chapter 2, and these men spoke in a language they had not learned, but people heard and understood, and the rest of the Jewish nation, you know, when, when they're there in the temple, 3,000 get saved that day, but there might have been thirty or 40,000 there, and you think, well, how can they hear? How do, how do, they, how do they know? Uh, People paid attention there. They, had, they didn't have the communication things that we have today, and so they paid attention. Uh, they learned, they listened. They were there for the purpose of worshiping and learning about God. And it was a sign to the unbelieving Jewish nation that Jesus was the Christ, and that he was resurrected from the dead, and he's holding them accountable. Um, that, that's the, the glorification of God. And that's what the tongues were used for. And then you go to the other two instances, and it's it's exactly the same thing. I'm going to reiterate what I said last week. You go to chapter 10, Peter goes to Caesarea. In chapter 11, the Jewish church in Jerusalem hold him accountable. They contended with him for going to the Gentiles. And he said to them that God gave them the Holy Spirit just as he did us at the first. And how they know that? Because they spoke in tongue. They spoke in language. Think, well, why did they need to do that? I think there were a gathering of Gentiles. I think there were a gathering of Gentiles there in Cornelius' house, and not all of them spoke exactly the same dialect. And when the Holy Spirit came, these six Jewish believers that had come with Peter 
Peter, pretty wise, and he took these six Jewish believers with him when he went down there, and they heard God being glorified by these Gentiles, and they testified to that when they come to the church. They back Peter up when they come to explain it to the Jewish church who didn't want to accept Gentiles at this point. And so God used it as a sign. Same thing when you go to chapter 9, Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, and uh, Paul has these Old Testament believers who have been baptized by John the Baptist, or unto John's baptism, and, and then they, he preached Christ to them, and they spoke in tongues as well. They were the in-between. So now you have it for the Jewish nation, for the Gentiles, and then you have it for these Old Testament believers. And, and then its purpose was fulfilled. And again, let me reiterate, um, in the three lists of the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament, you have one here, you have one in Ephesus, of Ephesus, you have one in Ephesians, and then you have one in Romans. Okay, 1 Corinthians is one of the first books written in the New Testament. And then when you get to Ephesus, you get to Ephesians and Romans, they're later books, they're later in Paul's life, and so now we're talking about maybe 25, 30 years later, maybe not quite that, maybe 20 years later, and in neither one of those lists are the sign gifts mentioned. I, I take that they had already ceased in, in that period of time, in my opinion. And so they're not even mentioned. And now Paul deals directly in our text with the confusion uh, of tongue speaking versus the clarity of prophecy. Verse 23. But each one in his own order... Christ the firstfruits, um, okay, I went to chapter 15, so <clears throat> okay. that, that's next week, Lord willing. Okay, back in 14, 23, therefore if the whole church, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convicted by, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus all, thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. One more verse. How, how is it then, brethren, whether you come to, Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So Paul is saying when you're, com when you're coming together, everybody has something to say. And uh, I, I go to the very last verse, chapter, verse 40 of this chapter. And he says to them, this overarching thing let the, all things be done decently and in order. Now remember the context. They, they were not being decently and in order in their behavior. And here Paul is saying that. This is what your service is like when you're all coming together. And it is confusion and it's not for edification. It's for selfishness. You're all, you're all wanting, you got something to say. And uh, that's what's... 
I think he's speaking to them about here. And now he gives them some instruction concerning tongues. Okay, in verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Um, I think that's pretty plain. Uh, if and and why would they? Why would you speak in tongues in a church that understood your own language? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say to you again. I have, I, you have to do this too when you study. You have to think. What did this mean at the time? At the time in Corinth, there would have been people in their church from with different languages. There would have been people. There would have been Gentiles who, who come from all of the world. It was a cosmopolitan city. It was a seaport city. And there would have been people there from all different nations speaking different languages. And uh, maybe their friend had brought them to Christ and they come and they're part of the church. But they couldn't understand the common language that was being used, whatever it was at that time in, in that church in Corinth. And so the gift of tongues possibly was still, uh, still available and still being used. And it was still for unbelievers who had come into the body, and they were listening. And so it was still for the same purpose. And he was saying, but let it be in order, and let it not dominate. Only three. Not everybody, but only only three. And let there be an interpreter where the whole church can hear and understand, or don't do it. Not, not at all. Very, very strict regulation. That would be the correct use of tongue. A language not learned by the speaker, but one that is common language of the hearer. And when Paul gives instruction and uh, for the church order in Timothy and Titus, he never mentions tongues. It's over. Um, and now he deals with congregational unity. Uh, go to verse 29. Let two or three people speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy, that now you speak about prophecy, not tongue. You can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. When you bring in the pagan religions uh, and people were using whatever they did when they, when they were alcohol or drugs or whatever, and they lost control of their senses, their spirits was not controlled by them, but by either the, the substance they used or something else. And Paul is saying very, very clearly here uh, that your spirit has to be under control. If you're going to prophesy, your spirit is subject to your intelligence. It's subject to your understanding and intelligence and, uh, and for the blessing of the people. For God, verse 33, is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Um, God is a God of order. That's what Paul said in verse 40 at the end of this chapter. Let everything be done decently and in order. God's a God of, of, of order. Uh, 
The business of the church is to glorify God and in and, and the edification of the gospel. It's not to glorify God. The business of the church is not for me to glorify God in my spirit. It's not for me to say, well, this is what I feel I'm going to do, and this is the, and I don't care what the church says. I don't care about the, the structure of the church. I don't care about the bylaws. I don't care about any of those things. This is what I feel, and this is what I'm going to do. Well, that's unbiblical, by the way. Uh, you know, you, that's just unbiblical. You, 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 cannot, you cannot legitimately do that as a member of the church. You're a part of the body. You have a responsibility to the body. We've already seen that, that you're, you, you have a responsibility to the body. The body needs you to be decent and in order in your behavior, your thinking, and in your uh, discernment. And so, um, when Paul gives these instructions and he gives this, this challenge for the order, again, remember the context. They're carnal, they're out of control, they're selfish, they're, they're behaving badly, and he, he wants them to be and in, 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 to love each other and to be cooperative to each other and, and to honor God with their relationships and their purpose. So now we come to verse 29, and uh, well, we already read verse 29. How far do we get? 33? Okay. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let the women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. Is that needing interpretation? Okay. <laughs> but, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. Now, in case you weren't here, in case you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, we, we dealt with the issue of the role of men and women extensively. Let me, let me just rephrase it very quickly. Uh, I believe, our church believes in complementarianism. Complementarianism means that men and women complement each other. Um, uh, you remember Paul said in, in Corinthians, Paul said that uh, Christ is subject to God. So here's the order. God, Christ, Christ is the head of man and man's the head of the woman. Oh, speaking about the marriage relationship in the church. It's not speaking about in the world, but it's speaking about in that relationship. Christ is subject to God the Father, but he is not inferior to God the Father. He has a role. He is the Son. Okay? The man is under Christ, and he is not Christ, and he is, has a role, and when he fulfills his role, he fulfills his purpose and what God created him to be. And, and in, the, in the marriage relationship and in the church, a woman's under the man, under male leadership, not every man in the church, but under male leadership of the church. And we have a role to fill. A woman has a role to fill. God has a role to fill. And uh, so that's complementarianism. So how does it work out in our, how does it work out in, in churches like ours? Uh, women can minister, women can teach, but under the authority of the leadership, which is male. Now, you may like that or not like that, but that's how the structure is, and uh, that's biblical. That's what the Bible actually teaches. And the people who are not doing that today say, very very clearly, they say, well, the Bible's out of date. So that was a cultural thing for their day, and it is out of date. And Paul was a, uh, what do you call it, chauvinist. 
And so that's just, you know, that, those days are over. And so, you know, if you want to do that, that's pretty risky ground, isn't it? Uh, how are you going to pick out what you throw out? You know, is the, is the, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, is that outdated as well? Is that, is that over because we're smarter today than they were, they were back then? So that's pretty risky business. So, ladies, you have a ministry in the church. You can have a teaching ministry in, inside the church. Outside the church, you can be the president if you want to be. Uh, I hope you are and nobody else from the... <clears throat> so, now we come to conclusion and instruction. This is, this is a hard chapter, isn't it? So you're very patient, and I'm, I'm glad you're still awake. Verse 36... And Paul now is using irony once again, and he says to them, or did, or did the word of God come originally from you, or, what, or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Now, he's using irony, and he's saying, you didn't originate the Word of God. The Word of God came to you. Uh, you, you you're, not, you're not an independent operator. You, you can't do this your own way. And, and, and so he's saying to them, who do you think you are? And, and basically, he's saying, you're behaving badly in doing this, and you can't keep doing it because this is not according to the Word of God. And, I, and so he, he's saying to them, but if you decide you're going to be ignorant, let you, you just stay ignorant if you want to. Paul's, Paul's pretty straightforward, isn't he? And he's he just saying, uh, but earnestly desire to prophesy, and if someone has the legitimate gift of tongues and it's necessary, there's unbelievers present, let them do it. But let their, he's already given the regulation, let there be an interpreter. So Paul is using irony again. Governing factor, decency, and order in the church. G. Campbell Morgan, G. Campbell Morgan wrote this. He wrote a lot, but I'm just going to give you his last phrase. The law of ministry within the church is that of selflessness. When there is no seeking for glory and no thought or profit to one's own soul, ministry becomes powerful. But if we're all selfish and self-seeking, we lose the power of God as a body. Uh, it, God doesn't bless that. It's what G. Campbell Morgan was saying. Now I'm going to give you my, my last thought, and it comes, it comes from me. You and I have to be very careful that we do not interpret Scripture by our experience. But that we let Scripture interpret our experience. If I interpret Scripture by my experience, I'm putting my experience above Scripture. And that's pretty, that's pretty dangerous. Uh, Catholic Church does that. Other people do that. Other, but you can't do that biblically. You, you, you cannot do that. There are, and you may know people uh, who speak in tongues. You may know people who believe they have other gifts. 
uh, miraculous gifts that are still available. You may know the people who are in the first category, second category, and I don't know where you are, but, but I'm just I'm saying to you, I, I, can't, I can't explain everyone's anecdotal behavior. I, I can't explain that. I do understand Scripture said you, you, this is how you live. This is how you function in the church. And, and, and my experience has to measure up to that or it's wrong. And it, is, it, 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 may be, it may be real and may be happening or happened or happening, but it's wrong. And so you have to be very careful. Let me say it again. You have to interpret experience by what Scripture says and not the other way around, or you really get into trouble. So, again, if you do a Google search and you look at the history of, of, the, of the sign gift and the movement, and you're, you're going to find a lot of information. Again, a few instances in medieval time in the 17th century. And uh, for the most part, it, uh, the gift of tongues revived in England and, and, and then in the U.S., uh, I say revived or became, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say prominent because it's not prominent, but it became an issue. Uh, basically, it, it can be traced to a Midwestern church that started, and then it went to Azusa Street in Los Angeles, and then the uh, Assemblies of God adopted it, and it's just very recent. And so it's not historical, and it's not biblical, my opinion. Okay, I want to end with that. Let's pray. Hey, if you have a question, email me. If you have a question, talk, talk to me. I'd be glad to, to, to talk with you about it. And uh, maybe you can convince me differently. So let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, uh, Lord, uh, Peter said Paul's written some hard things, and I think this is one of it. Uh, Lord, I have a tendency to be carnal. I have a tendency to be selfish. And, uh, Lord, I have a tendency to desire my own way. And uh, please help me to be obedient to Scripture, to be submissive to Scripture. I pray that for these dear people. Lord, give us wisdom that we uh, learn and do it the right way, that we submit ourselves to you, uh, Lord, with humbleness, and uh, uh, that we might have the fullest blessing available to us through your grace and through your word. Uh, we be led and guided and blessed, and we'll be thankful for what you do. Pray for the service to follow as we sing and as we listen, that you be exalted in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.